0: Let's pray before I get lost. Father, Lord, I pray this morning that with everything that we've come here to do, God, I pray more than anything else that your name be glorified. God, I pray more than anything else that you be worshipped here this morning, that you are so worthy. You are so worthy, Lord, no matter what place we stand in, no matter where we are in this world or what's going on around us, you are worthy to be praised and worshipped. So this morning, God, may your name be glorified. And Lord, we ask that we can leave this place knowing a little bit more about you, having seen just a glimpse of you and your kingdom. Jesus, I pray that anything that I say this morning, if it's not of you, may it fall away. But the things that you wanna do here, may you lock them in our hearts and set ablaze to us, God. We love you and we honor you, Jesus. And in your name, we pray, amen. We have had a very interesting two weeks from highs and lows, from me nearly going insane in our townhouse, walking around with a golf ball and a golf club, and then just going to different rooms to stand in, because what do you do for seven days when you're locked in? I can't imagine New Zealand on 24 days. That would just be next level. But we're a free country. We're healthy. So we, I just, I'm, I'm so incredibly amazed that we get to continue to worship God but while we were away, we, we saw, just yesterday, we saw an incredible intervention of God, a miracle beyond belief that I, I'm still very amazed at. We've also seen struggles and heard from friends who are in immense struggle, and there seems to be this sort of massive up and down. And while I was away on, on house arrest, I was plagued with this question, government mandated house arrest. Maybe it was a time for me to slow down, but it was a a house arrest nonetheless. But I, I was plagued with this question and I want to pose it to you because hopefully it will ease some of my thoughts around it and it will start a bigger question that I think we could start to discuss with each other. But I started thinking through Jesus and his crucifixion and the Pharisees and the scribes of his day, they crucified Jesus for a particular reason. Does anyone know the particular reason? Blasphemy, right? He was founded on account of blasphemy, that he had said he was God. That was why they ordered him crucified. But that wasn't the reason they didn't want him around. That wasn't the the pinnacle of, of why they wanted him removed. That's how they got him removed. But the challenge was, was that Jesus had come in to their culture. He had come into what they had built and he threatened their way of life because he came with a different culture. He came carrying a different way of life. And you can imagine the Pharisees and the scribes, they had to earn their way to their positions. From little kids, they had to learn the Torah. Then they had to pass the tests. Then they had to show that they were worthy. Then finally they got to the position they had built this amazing empire, if you will. And then some man from Bethlehem, a place of nothing, a place of nonsense, comes in and he ruins all of that. He levels the playing field. So he says to the Pharisees and the scribes, everything you've worked for, everything you've built, guess what? All of us fall short of the glory of God. He actually proposed a counterculture, a system or a kingdom that was against what they had built. So when he came to the table, they realized this man is going to wreck what we have. Crucify him. Let's find, let's find fault. So when you see the Pharisees asking questions, it says in Scripture that, that Jesus was realizing they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to get him to say the wrong thing because they needed a reason to crucify him. Lo and behold, they find it and he goes to the cross. But the question that I have, the challenge that I have, is that if we bring that to now into our church system in the contemporary Western world or in the world in general, and we bring it into our personal lives, I wonder if we would crucify Jesus or if we would allow him to change our paradigm. If Jesus walked through those doors this morning... And came and sat in the front row and said, Ben, would you let me speak? Would I allow him to speak? Would I allow him to change this paradigm? Would I allow him to bend my culture? And would I allow his kingdom to come? See, when Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, he says, ask that your kingdom shall come, your will be done. He's saying, in order for Jesus' kingdom to reign, we have to lay down our own kingdom, give over our own will to see his come. So when you, read the, when you read the Bible, you're like, man, these Pharisees, they were crazy. But then in today's day and age, we do the same thing over and over and over again. If Jesus peered into your life and he saw the things and he came and he said, hey, Sean, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Would we accept the change in our paradigm? Would we accept his kingdom or would we crucify him? And this is a challenge for me as well. I look over my marriage and over my home. I look over this church and the house, look over where God's leading us and I ask myself, Lord, am I allowing you to change my paradigm or am I crucifying you? Am I asking you, please don't wreck what I've built, God. Please don't come and wreck what I've put all my time and energy into building up my plan and purpose. And God says, yeah, but I've got something better for you. And we go, we don't want to crucify him. So I look over the church and I look over the the, the very body of Christ and the way we meet, the way we gather and, and the way that we come together. And I'm asking the Lord earnestly, Lord, are we allowing your kingdom to come or are we continually building our own? If you walked into my my massive um, organization in my, in my workspace, in my, in my life, I've spent all these years, God, getting this degree, getting to this place. I've spent all this time and God says it's time to change. I have a new way. Do we accept his kingdom or do we crucify him? There's a big difference, and I'm being challenged between cultural Christianity and lifestyle Christianity. This morning, when we went into prayer, it took us about 15 minutes probably not that long 10 minutes to get into prayer because we were riffing jokes with each other and laughing and just having a good time. And I realized that in in the Christian world, in the Christian context, For a lot of us, we have something the world doesn't have. My family is constantly amazed about how many events that I have on, how many dinners I go to, how many different places I'm in. And I said, yeah, because I have such a massive friend group. I have such an extraordinarily large community. And although this is not a, a big community to the world, they normally have one or two friends you ask most of your non-Christian friends; they'll go. Most people who work nine to five will go to a friend's place for dinner once every two or three months. But in the Christian context, we're going two or three times a week, right? We have friendship. We have most of us, some of us. People in their twenties. But the point is, is that we've created a culture where Sunday morning we come, we hang out in our groups of friends, we drink coffee, we laugh, we we sing some songs together and then we have to sit through some guy's 45-minute sermon. But we get to enjoy that time together. We get to have a, a friend group. And a lot of other people, they do that with different things, with golf, with tennis, with a knitting club. They create these different cultures. And I'm afraid that if we've only lent into that in the church, we create the same culture. We become a PCYC. And that's okay, that's good. There's, there's, there's good things in that to have friends and people around you. But Jesus is asking our lifestyle to be the very thing that, that brings his culture and his kingdom. That as we live in Christ, as we live in who he is and what he's asked us to do, we bring his kingdom all the time. We should be the paradigm changers that Jesus was to the Pharisees. We should be the ones who actually come in and we bring a counterculture we actually bring the opposite side of what's taking place. Where there's anger and angst, we bring peace and joy. Where there's turmoil, we bring love. Where there's hatred, we bring love. We come in the opposite and we bring the culture that's not there, just like Jesus did. The reason that Jesus said the world will hate you is because we're going to pull down the culture that they have, the kingdom that they've established, and we're going to bring about the kingdom of God and the culture of heaven. Sean spoke about a. Um, Sean touched on a, a point last week, which was brilliant, and he spoke about the fact that, when we're overweight, we know how to lose weight, right? We know the right things to do. Put the cookies down. Go for a walk. Right. Basic, basic lose weight is stop eating so much of the bad stuff, and move a little. Right. But yet, even though we have the knowledge and the understanding of that, we still don't outwork it. We still don't go and do it, right? We still eat the extra cookie, we have a second serving, we don't get up in the morning in the gym. There's a psychological term for that. It's called cognitive dissonance. And what it means is that I understand what to do, but I don't want to actually step out and do it. I know what the right thing to do is, but I just can't bring myself to do it. I know that when my alarm goes off tomorrow morning, I have to get up and go to the gym. I know that's going to be good for me. But goodness gracious, when that alarm goes off, I have a wrestle. There's a war inside. Right? It's, a, it's a term called cognitive dissonance. And what it means is that we get to a place where we have so much knowledge Yet we don't actually do anything with it. We don't actually allow it to change our lives. It doesn't go from our head to our hands. Right? It stays in our head. We become the smartest guy in the room. We can tell everyone how to make a million dollars on the housing market. So have you made it? No, I haven't. Oh, that's interesting. Right, I've got all the knowledge, but none of the actual do. It's, it's what I've, I've coined down to, what I do is not affected by what I know. What I do is not affected by what I know. There's a few of us in this room who have read this book for a long time. We have flipped pages upon pages upon pages upon pages. And there's a few of us in this room who have only just started it. But the reality is, is that if this doesn't actually come into our hands, if it doesn't actually change our heart, we get trapped in this cycle of I know I know, I know. We sit in meeting after meeting. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. And what happens is we go around and we go around because what we do is not affected by what we know. I don't actually put into practice and apply the things that God has called us into. In the psychological world, this is a bit bit harsh, but I'm going to say it because I'm halfway there. In the psychological world, it's called cognitive dissonance. In the scriptures, it's called rebellion. We live in a place of rebellion against God. And you know, we get to this place where I ask this question sometimes to myself, and it's not a a beating or a lashing. It's, man, I I just, I want to be like the disciples. I want to be like the writers of the New Testament, where they were so so torn inside to want to worship and glorify him more. That was so so challenged by the way that they didn't bring themselves before him. They were so moved by the scriptures that they just got to this place of God. I know that I'm doing the wrong thing, but I want you more now than ever. I want to change who I am to see you now more than ever. Paul explains it brilliantly if you've got a Bible in Romans 7. Romans 7 7, verse 13 to 25. He explains this wrestle that we have every day. Romans 7, starting at 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might be sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, another law waging war against my mind. There is a war going on in our mind. There is this pull between one side and the other, light and darkness, one on the other side tearing us apart, saying, I should go this way, I should go that way. And deep down inside ourselves, we have to ask, do we really know what truth is? See, for me, there's only two reasons as to why you know what to do, but you don't do it. It's one, you don't really know what to do. Truth isn't rooted inside of you. Or two, you're just living in a place of rebellion. Now there's, there's an understanding here that I know what to do. Like Paul says, I know that I have to do it, yet I can't bring myself to do it. That's the place of God where we bring and hold those things captive. When we actually come in our mind, we sang about it this morning and we bring ourselves to Him and we hold the things that are not of God captive in our life. But Paul is saying that there's this wage, there's this, this pull. And I want to remind you of a scripture in Matthew 9 that, God, that Jesus says, He says, I, will, I, cannot, I cannot pour new wine into old wineskins. I want to challenge you this morning, those wineskins are not the way we do church. It's not the day we meet, it's not the new coffee machine, it's not the fresh sign on the door. That doesn't mean a new wineskin. We can't say we're a new wineskin people because we get a new building. That's not the wineskin. <laughs> Sorry, I was just asking myself if that was too sassy, but we press on. I just, I just I, I get caught a little bit in this cultural thing that we, we get a bit jazzed because when we go to a new building and we say, whoa, it's a new, it's a new wineskin, new wine can be poured. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. There was an old system and a new system. What was the old system? The law. What was the new system? Grace. That's the new wineskin. Jesus saying, I cannot pour the fresh wine, the outpouring of my kingdom into a system of the law. He's saying, I cannot do that because it will explode what you carry. If you understand grace, then you will understand what the new wine looks like because I can pour it into that vessel. And as so often we go, yeah, we get grace, Jesus has forgiven us, but then we fall back into the habits of law. Right? Even in this building, in, in the way that we've set it out with the lights, there's no pews, we're free from law. That's not entirely true. Law is rooted in our heart. We have to break it and out of our mindset in the way that we think. So it takes time for us to actually break and rewrite these things. And we're crying out to God, send a fresh outpouring. Send a fresh outpouring. Give us the the renewal. And God is holding the cup full and saying, I want to pour it. I want to pour it. But you are rooted in an old system and I cannot pour my wine into the old system. Paul is saying, I know what's right. I know how to live in righteousness. I know how to live in the kingdom flow. I know what God is calling to me, yet I'm still stuck over here with a mind of sin. I'm still stuck in a position that I cannot see my way out. But it's a, it's a chase to grace that God is asking us. The wineskin is our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and God wants to pour out into that renewal, revival fire, Going to a revival fire meeting after a revival fire meeting after a revival fire meeting is not going to change our mind and change the way we see the kingdom. We can have revival fire meetings till the cows come home. But if we don't change what's in here, if we don't change our heart, if we don't reevaluate the kingdom from our mind and wrestle out this thing that Paul's saying, how do I do the things that I know I shouldn't? And I know how to live. I've caught in this, this hamster wheel of again and again and again and again and nothing changes. I've been to your prayer meetings. I've, I've looked in your scriptures and nothing changes because we're playing the same tape over and over and over again. And God is saying, change the, type, change the tape. This for me is why I believe that God is having us focus on minds this year, on changing our minds, on renewing who we are. Because revival fire starts with us. Revival fire starts with you in your closed door going, God, who are you really? Who are you really? Not who the church says that you are, not who the organization that I've been a part of says that you are. Who are you, Lord, really? What does it look like for me to know you? I titled this sermon, An Adversary into Increase. And I want to I show you something that I think is, is a, important for the time that we're in. If you think back to all of the, the big names in scripture that we follow, Moses, Noah, Daniel, David, they all had adversary, large Adversary. They had they had a challenge they had to meet, often a few of those challenges. And in those challenges, they came into increase. Through the 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 war that they waged, they came into increase. And Jess spoke about two weeks ago, Jess spoke about the fact that they didn't just have talents. Our our, our favorite sporting stars, our favorite biblical people in the Bible, they didn't just have talents. They worked at climbing the mountain that was before them. At the end of the mountain, they realized who they really were. I'm going to ask a tricky question. By show of hands, who knows who this person is? Oh, oh, oh. Edie, what's happening? Edie, no one knows who it is. Edie, can you just give me the first slide? Josh can you can you help please for the love of the lord <laughs> keep thinking though who could it be who could it be just slide 1 if we go to slide 3 it'll ruin it for me oh here we go does anyone know who that is by show of hands i would have taken dr phil's grandfather but no it is not dr phil Anyone? No? No, it's not. But a good try. It's not Smith Higglesworth. Does anyone know who this person is? And it's not James Bond. So neither of us, so none of us in this room know who the first two people are. Okay, does anyone know who this person is? Who's this? What was Winston Churchill famous for? Saving the war, Second World War. Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of the UK and he saved the war. He is known, he is world renowned for who he was and what he did. The first two people were the Prime Ministers before him, Clement Attlee and Anthony Eden who led the UK before and after Winston Churchill. None of us including myself had any clue who those two were. Yet I could tell you a ton of things about Winston Churchill. The point is Winston Churchill carried a nation through one of the largest adversaries that, this, that the natural world in, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Modern times walked through. And we all know who he is, yet the other two led extraordinarily difficult times, yet none of us know who he is. See, the challenge in this is that when we go through a troubled time, when we go through, through adversary things that nearly break us, we get to the place where we go, God, what's the point of all of this? And we have two options. When you look at the, some of the biggest names in, in anything, actors, movie stars, sporting people, they all got to this place where they had to decide, do I pick up the challenge and come through it, or do I lay here and become nothing? Winston Churchill had a challenge before him, because he had already served before he went in to serve during the Second World War. He had already served four years as the UK Prime Minister. And he ran again in one of the most trying, difficult times in the modern age. He knew what he was going into, but he realized, I can come through this. I can actually pick up what needs to be picked up here. I have it in me to deliver the people. Every single one of us in this room get to a place where the mountain is too high to climb. And God says, I want you to climb it. Just like he said to Moses, Moses, I want you to set my people free. Moses said, why in in the good Lord's name would you choose me? I am the worst person. I can barely string sentences together. I don't have the ability. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And in the great saying, he was who God said he was. I am because the great I am said I am. He was exactly who God called. Exactly for the time such as this. Every one of us have that moment. Every one of us have a time. I was gonna show you the Lion King snippet again, but I was just gonna quote it. I'm not gonna show it because I thought you'd be Lion Kinged out. But just started a Lion King uh, quote and it's gone into Sean and I wasn't going, I was like, nah, it's done until I watched Sean's sermon, and there's something that stuck out to me. So the scene is when Simba and Rafiki are talking and Simba's trying to work out whether he should go back go back to the pride and go back to to defeat Scar. And he's just seen his father in the clouds. And Simba says to Rafiki, he says, it looks like the winds are changing. And Rafiki responds, ah, yes, change is good. And Simba says, yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. It's not easy. Every one of us has a past and a challenge before us we have something that's behind us, something that's before us, and something that we're standing in right now. But change is facing your past in order to be willing in your present to come into your future. Where we have right now, all of us individually, as a nation, as a church, have a, have a, a, a trouble before us. We have a problem before us. And we get to decide, am I going to lay here and die? Or am I going to become who God's asked me to be? Am I going to step up and play my part in my own life, in the life of the church, in the life of a nation, in the life of the nations? Am I going to be who God's called me to be or am I going to shrink back into myself and say, I can't, I'm not the one, it's not me. Jess and I have had a challenge over the last well, all of this month and end of December. As most of you will have seen, the building um, sign out the front has a sold sticker on it. At the end of Christmas, at the end of the December time, we were approached by somebody who wanted to buy the building and offer for us as a church to stay here and pay rent and continue on. So I took that on board, Jess and I took it on board and we went and talked and we came up with every reason as to why that could work for us. It was going to be about three times the rent that we pay now, so it was going to be a stretch financially, but we got in a drawing board, we mapped it out, we realised that it would work, we could make it work. There was only one problem, God didn't give us the blessing, God said no, so We went back to the drawing board. I called Paul and Adam. I spoke with them. I spoke with with Ario as well at length. And all three of them said the same thing to me. What did God tell you to do? I said, he told us to move. He said, then what are we talking about? I said, I know what we're talking about, but it makes no sense. I can't see how to get there. That doesn't make any sense to me. And the challenges I had with Paul, which he got very stern with me, which was very helpful, was I said, Paul, I have to, this is not a call I'm making for me. I'm leading people into the desert. And he said, yes, Ben, but do you know what's in the desert? I said, I do. A cloud by day and a fire by night. God is in the desert. So we realized there's a wrestle. And I said to Jess, this is difficult because there's a people that we're leading. There's a, a call that we're leading. But I was praying and thinking and God said, would you stay there and die or would you come out? And walk with me. Would you stay there and die? I thought, all right, Lord, it makes no sense. In my brain, which is logical one, two, three, we've gone one, seven, twelve, thirteen. It doesn't make sense, but what God is calling us is into increase. And I want to challenge all of us. All of us have decisions to make day to day, week to week, year to year. We have large problems before us, real problems. Problems that the person next to you doesn't understand. Problems that somebody may never understand. Problems that only you are standing in. But God is asking us, will you stand up and face what's before you to come into increase? Change is facing your past in order to be willing in your present to come into your future. Where we have been is not where we're going. But if we stay there, we don't come into our future. God asked Abraham, leave your father's house. He couldn't inherit the nations without first leaving his father's house. He couldn't inherit what was coming to him without first leaving his father's house. And I want to finish with this. While chatting with Paul, this kind of highlighted in what he was saying. Jesus, when he comes back from the grave, he comes in and he meets the disciples. And the disciples are in an interesting place. They are afraid of death. The door's locked. It says in scripture, the door was locked and held tight. They're afraid of being killed. They're afraid of being crucified, just like their Messiah was. They are hidden and they're also wondering, was he the Messiah if we just watched him die? They're in this place of not sure where we're going. And Jesus comes through the wall. And in John 20 it says this John 20:19 20, to 22 On the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came he stood among them and he said to them peace be with you When he had said this he showed them his hands and his side then the disciples were glad what they saw when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, "'Peace be with you. "'As the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you.'" And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit.'" Luke tells the same story in Luke 24, but he recounts it like this. He says, "'Then he said to them, "'These are my words that I spoke to you "'while I was still with you, "'that everything written about me in the law of Moses "'and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled.'" Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Jesus walks in the room. He shows his hands. He says, do you remember who I am? He shows his side. He says, I'm the one who gave you a promise. Do you remember? They're kind of standing there going, well, yeah, yep, yes, kind of. And then Jesus says, I'm sending you in the same way my father sent me. He reveals the scriptures and then he breathes on them and their minds are opened they understood the promise that was made. Regardless of the adversary that stood before them, regardless of what was outside the door, that death was lurking, they remembered what their call was. They remember God had given me a mandate. God has given me a promise. And he says, remember who I am. I'm the one with wounds in my hands, hole in my side, pierced feet. Remember who I am. And this morning as I was praying, God, what... What are you revealing to us? I feel like God is asking us, do you remember who I am? Not from a cultural perspective, not yes, you're Jesus, the one they sing about. Yes, you're the one that we hung on the cross. Not, not that understanding, but do you know in your heart who I am? Do you remember what I called you to? Yes, God, but it didn't work out for me in the past. Yes, God, but I tried that. I tried to lead a church. I tried to lead that ministry. I tried to find a wife. I tried to find a husband. I tried to to, to fix my marriage. I tried to to do all those things. Lord, I tried my best and now I've run away and I will not be coming back. And Jesus is saying to us this morning, if you want me to pour a new wine, I need you to change the vessel by which you carry. And that vessel is your understanding. Do you remember who I am? Do you remember me? who called you from before you were conceived, who knows you like no one else knows you. Do you remember who I am and what I've called you to? Our prayer this year and what we are going to harp until someone comes and says, can you please stop, for the love of the Lord, talking about it, until we see it click is change our mind. Lord, open our minds to understand who you are and what you're calling us to. May this not just be something that we get up early and and flick through the pages. May our heart be long to see you in this deeper and deeper and deeper. God, may this understanding that's in our head go to our hands. Lord, may there be a heart understanding of your call that when I go and do the thing that makes no sense, I say, you are who you said you are. I remember you and I will act on your behalf. That's what it means to be an image bearer of Jesus. That's what it means to carry his image into every situation and say, Lord, I remember who you are and I will deposit you in this place that I'm in. God, I remember who you are and I will act on your behalf. That's what it means when we break bread together is that we remember Jesus in who he is. If we stay in our present because of fear to address our past or to address the mountain or adversary that's before us, we will not come into our future. We will not come into what God has for us. So why don't you stand and we'll just pray. We're going to ask you to come forward because I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that if I ask for anyone who has an adversary or anyone who, has something before them, or anyone who wants to change their mind, we're going to have the whole church come and stand at the front, right? We're going to have all of us in that position. Because I think for every single one of us, there's something we're facing or there's something that haunts us from our past or there's something that scares us about our future. But this morning, I want to ask this week, would you set your heart on remembering who he is? Would you set your heart on actually finding Jesus, who are you, one, And then who did you say that I am? If you've got to go find prophetic words and reread them, if you've got to go back, if you have to start speaking, even though it doesn't make any sense, in your situation, declaring the goodness over yourself, declaring God's kingdom over yourself, declaring that over your husband, your wife, declaring that in the midst of the battle, do what you need to do to remember who he is in that situation. So Father, we come right now before you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we just open our heart right now. If you know what that means and you believe in that, just invite the Holy Spirit to come right now to move into your heart, to reveal things that you may not know are there or to give answers to spaces that you may not have answers. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to move amongst us right now. Your scripture says that where two or more of us are gathered in your name for your purpose, that there you are in our midst. Lord, we don't need any fancy lighting or sounds that you said. God, we are holding on your word that you said that we come in your purposes. You're in our midst. So you are here right now, Lord. Lord. So I ask, God, you just begin to highlight our lives. Highlight areas that we've forgotten you. Highlight areas that, Lord, we've stopped pressing in. We've stopped seeing that you are who you said you are. God, I just ask that you begin to reveal yourself to us again. Lord, we so desperately want the new wine to be poured. But God, I'm afraid we've been so caught up in the old ways, the ways that you said you'd come to finish, to fulfill. And Lord, I just ask that, Lord, you would set our hearts ablaze once again. For some of us, Lord, we are in that room with the door locked in doubt and worry in anxiety, Father. And right now in Jesus, we just break that in your name that although it seems no one else can get through that locked door, you walk through to reveal you, to reveal who you are. So God, right now, every person in this room, Lord, everyone that's at home, ill, Father, every one of us that have our own problems, that we've locked ourselves inside of, I just pray right now, Lord, that you walk through the door and reveal who you are. Father, for marriages that are broken down, may you reveal your heart. For anxiety that's crippling, people unable to move forward, may you reveal who you are. God, for work situations, for housing situations. Lord, we pray for Nessie, Father, and her granddaughter who's just given birth, Father. That's a scary time, Lord, but that you reveal who you are God, we just pray for Louis and Olga, for the Hills, for the Bashas, Father. We just declare your wholeness and your healing through what you did on the cross, Lord. God, we stand together in unity to reveal your kingdom in that place. And God, I pray that you challenge us to live our life as image bearers of you. God, we worship you. We honor you. We declare your goodness and your wholeness, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the glorious, holy one. And Father, I pray this morning above all else that you were worshipped here, that you were glorified, that your name would ring out. We love you. We honour you, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We declare that in this house. We declare that in this city and we declare that in this nation. You are the King of kings, Lord. We love you, we honour you, and in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.